Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team from baseball's top personalities the great chris russo joins us once again to the game's top players joining us is the all-star matt chapman with us you never know what stories you're going to hear if you make your way down here i, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great chris townsend this is a's unfiltered with chris townsend Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. The number one pick out of Thousand Oaks, Max Muncy, is going to join us. Scott Emerson will sit down with Roxy Bernstein. And then Mark Kotze, your third base coach, will be with us as he joined us on A's Cast Live. But we'll start with the high school shortstop that went the first round to your athletics. We have Max with us now here on A's Cast Live. And I got to tell you, Max, one of the uh, honors I've had in my career for many, many years is I'm always the first radio slash streaming interview, and I've interviewed so many first-round picks, and I know what this day means for you, for your family. Uh, just tell us what this experience has been like. Yeah, it's definitely been surreal. Uh, coming out here, I think that there's a moment when you get drafted and you kind of figure it's real, but it doesn't really sink in until you, you know, you're on the field and you're in the A's jersey. Yeah, and you're out here, next thing you know, Everybody's looking at you, right? And you know when you're taking ground balls or, or, or you're in the cage, you know everybody's eyes are on you, right? That's kind of how it's been a little bit this year. It feels like they're on you. Um, you know, they're not on you as much as you think they are. I think you kind of, <laughs> when you're out there, you think everyone's looking at you. But uh, I kind of learned, you know, just kind of play your game and do your thing, and it's kind of work itself out. How much fun was it getting in that cage in a big league stadium and taking BP? I think that was great. I think the best part was, you know, talking to those guys, so knowledgeable and so many things that they they uh, told me, you know, just to help me starting out, small things, little pieces of advice. Yeah, and I saw you go over to Mark Kotze. Both you guys are from Southern California. Uh, he was a great player at Cal State Fullerton. And that's kind of been one thing that's always been great about the first-round draft picks in the A's is all these guys are here to help you and give you knowledge because you're going to be in camp with these guys uh, relatively soon. Just tell us what it was like, what some of the guys kind of passed along to you. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that just say, you know, obviously they've been through it. Um, that's how they got here, and they just tell me, you know, enjoy it. I told the, the guys in there it's kind of like growing up a little bit. You want to be an adult, you want to be an adult. I mean, you want to get to the big leagues, but they just told me, you know, your time down there, you know, enjoy it um, and just live it up. And who was all with you down here when you were taking pictures? That's my family. I got both my parents and all three sisters here with me. Yeah, and I, and I tried to say it, and a lot of people may not understand. Are you the? You got to be the oldest, right? I got. I'm the second oldest, so okay. I got an older sister and two younger. So your parents dragged them all around all these games, and 
you know, probably some of the games they want to be at, probably some of the games are like, we got to go watch it again. So it's just not the parents. It's your sisters, too. It's been a team effort. Talk about that to get you to this point. Yeah, I think they've been so supportive. Obviously, there's times where, you know, dad's going to be mad with your performance and mom's going to be fed up. But uh, I think the sisters have been super supportive, you know, nothing but love. Um, I know they're always there for me. You know, after a game, I can always go to them and, you know, they're going to be my rock. You know, you guys are a generation and we're all have been a part of COVID-19. You know, the shutdown of the baseball season, we only had 60 games. I know a lot of high school seasons were, were, were shut down. What happened to you guys down at Thousand Oaks when, when COVID hit? Yeah, so obviously it was a big shut, shut, shut down. Uh, gyms were closed and everything. So, uh, I, I mean, we tried to keep in contact with the team as much as we could. Obviously, we knew there was a chance we were going to play. So, we were trying to keep it rolling. Uh, we were off to a good start last year, 8-0. and So, you know, we tried to keep that same energy. And it was hard at some points, but uh, just to remain in contact and, you know, grab a few guys and sneak on the field when you could to get work um, was important. Obviously, it transitioned to this season. So, I think you guys were like 29-1. and Yeah. Was that a full season for you guys? Yeah, usually you'll play 30 games in a season and then five or six playoff games. So that was including playoffs. So, I mean, we only got snubbed six games, which is, you know, remarkable how we could get that done. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I felt so bad for the seniors, right, who didn't get to have their full senior year. And then were you ever worried about this hurting your draft? I mean, obviously you're number, you know, you're number 25 in the first round. You're, you're fine. But were you ever worried that the shutdown could affect your draft status? I mean, at one point you you are a little nervous, but I think, you know, there's only so much you can think about it. There's only so much you can be concerned um, I had a great thing at Arkansas, so I was excited to go there. But, you know, obviously it worked out here. So, And when I think about, you know, you, you, you're drafted by Billy Bean. I mean, you know all about – sure, you've seen Moneyball. And 20 times, yeah. <laughs> and you think about David Force, who's been around here for, for all this time. What's it like to be drafted by the A's? And also you see the great history of this franchise. Yeah, you know, the history is amazing. Especially, I mean, I watched Moneyball maybe two days after I got drafted. Uh just to hear those names and then come out here and meet them in person, it's wild. Um, I think one of the head scouts, the scene where he gets, they fire the head scout and then they hire the main one. Uh, you know, I talked to him when I was here and I just put one and two together. And I was like, can't believe that, you know, that was you in that situation. <laughs> yeah, there's a quite a few of these guys that were like, that was you in the movie. Yeah, man. yeah. Um, you know, when, when, when they talk to you, what, what exactly did they say about, you know, shortstop? Did they see you being able to play different positions as you get older? I mean, obviously, you got good size to you. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, it's honestly up to them wherever they want to move me. Um, they told me they, they think I got a chance to stay at short, so they're going to give me the opportunity. And then, you know, if they need to move me over, that's their call. Um, whatever's fine with me. You know, Coco Crisp was a longtime outfielder for us and who also lived in Los Angeles. And he said the thing that he loved, not only about the history and everything about the franchise, was that it was so close for his family. You know, you're just a quick southwest flight away. Have you talked about that with your family and how great that we know when you get here to the big leagues, you're going to be so close to home? Yeah, I think all levels have uh, benefits. You know, Arizona, I got a bunch of buddies at ASU that I played high school ball with, so I'll be close there. And then, you know, the Vegas level, I got family in St. George, Utah, so that's an hour drive. And then you know, hopefully I make it up here. My family can make this trip uh, fairly easily. I mean, I got friends at Berkeley, friends at Stanford. So, I mean, I'm going to be close to a lot of people. So I think that support group is going to be very strong. 
Well, I got to tell you, when you wear that uniform, it's one of the most distinct uniforms in the game. You know when you're watching the Oakland Athletics, and by the way, you look great in white. I appreciate that. Hey, go be with your family. Thank you for coming on, and hopefully you and I are doing this for years to come. I hope so, too. Oh, by the way, the whole Max Muncy thing blew us away. <laughs> you have the same birthday as Max. We're like, Max Muncy? And we saw that and went, wow. I mean, it, obviously, being in Southern California, you know a lot about Max Muncy. Yeah, I'm surprised it took you that long to mention that. <laughs> I mean, usually that's the first thing that comes up. Um, it's definitely wild. There's a lot of, you know, I had a person after the draft come up to me, and they're like, did you know you had the same birthday? I was like, dude, I, I've been hearing this for, you know, years now. <laughs> yeah. I know. I get texts all the time. Well, uh, it's well, great, though. Yeah, go enjoy it with your family. You earned this day with them, and thank you so much. And we'll be talking a lot throughout the years. Thank you, guys. That's your first-round draft pick for the Oakland Athletics. This kid is super athletic. He is going to be good and always good. Scott Emerson sits down with Roxy Bernstein. A's Cast Live, we continue getting ready for the first game of the quote-unquote second half tonight. The Cleveland Indians hit the Coliseum to open up play a three-game set tonight at 640. Roxy Bernstein in for Chris Townsend here on A's Cast Live, and we're joined by the pitching coach for the Oakland A's. Scott Emerson joining us, and Emo, how was your break? Oh, it was great. You know, I got to go home and spend some time with the wife and dog, and uh, it was, you know, it it was a much-needed rest, but ready to get back into it and uh, get after the second half. It it seemed like for everybody involved, Scott, that, that the the break came at a good time. You got some momentum, a feel-good series after dropping the first one in Texas and winning the last two. Did, did is your Was your read the same, that the All-Star break came at a good time for this team to recharge the batteries? Yeah, I think so. You know, we've been dealing with some, uh, you know, nagging injuries on some guys, and our, our pitching staff has been going, you know, full throttle since the start of the year. You know, our starters, uh, much well-deserved rest for them. And, uh, you know, for our bullpen guys as well. So, uh, you know, recharges the batteries. I, I know everybody's anxious to get back and going. This is what we love to do. And, and I'm excited for us in the second half. I, I know that heading into the Texas series that it had not gone great as far as the overall record uh, of the team and, and going winless in six series until winning the series against Texas. But I think one constant has been your starting pitching, even though in, in, in the in the way the series had gone, the starting pitching was still pretty good for the most part. Are, are you happy with the way the guys are working right now and feeding off one another? Yeah, you know, you, you look up and, you know, the guys are getting their innings in. Uh, they're competing well. They're keeping us in ball games. It's not like, you know, we've been blown out and have to take the starter out in the first two innings. You know, these guys go out, they compete their butts off. Uh, they work hard. and They've done a, a great job. Uh, at last I looked, you know, we were up there in innings pitched per starter for the starters and, and um, decisions also. So our guys are staying out there a long time. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, that's what good starters do. They they take the ball and they go as hard as they can, as long as they can. And hopefully they can keep that momentum going into the second half. E- Emo, there's been a lot of pleasant surprises when you look around the roster and some of the contributions that the team is getting. Uh, certainly on the offensive side, guys like Jed Lowry and the season that he's putting together. But from your pitching staff, I, I got to see Cole Irvin pitch quite a bit in college at the University of Oregon. And it, for whatever reason, just wasn't comfortable, didn't work out with the Phillies. But it seems coming over here has rejuvenated him. What have you seen from him in his progress? And are you surprised at the production and the consistency that he's given you? 
Well, you know, when I look at a pitcher and I look at their data and, and their analytics and, and talking to the pitcher about what he likes to do when, you know, sometimes uh, teams or organizations take away a certain pitch. Sometimes for me, it takes away their confidence. And, uh, you know, I try to allow these guys to use the stuff that they're confident with and, you know, bringing Cole's sinker back into play. You know, as a starting pitcher, the changeup is always important. Uh, you know, for timing reasons and disruption of timing. So, you know, having him have the ability to just go out and pitch, you know, sometimes we're in this reliever stage where, uh, you know, everybody says, okay, you're now a reliever because it did happen to me. Let's ditch the two seamer. Let's throw the four seamer as hard as you can. And let's try to spin a breaking ball as hard as you can as well. And sometimes that's just not uh, what guys are capable of doing. You know, the technology sometimes brings out, uh, well, if you can do this, and it, it brings out the theoretical uh, aspect of pitching, but not the practical part of pitching. And the practical part for me is take the data and, and use that to what the pitchers can and can't do. And I think Cole's getting back to the things that he was confident in in college and we're confident in him in doing those things, and that's sinking the baseball, changing speeds with that good changeup, and locating, you know, when, when you're throwing hard, you know, location is always going to suffer. Uh, and, uh, because of that, that, you know, maybe overthrow on some guys. And I think maybe in Philadelphia, he overthrew the baseball a little bit because, you know, Velo was a big part of the bullpen and that was just not his game. So, you know, coming over here and allowing him to, you know, pitch his game, use his arsenal, but also teach him how to use his arsenal and what your arsenal is, um, in my opinion, has been good for him. He's made 18 starts. He's taken every turn. He's got an ERA just over three and a half, and has been consistent. What were your expectations, Emo, coming into the season for him and after bringing him over from Philly and watching him progress through the spring? Well, like, like you said, you know, he, he's throwing the ball real well. You know, the, the – um, I guess my expectations were let's see if this guy can make the team, you know, uh, or, or make a start in rotation. We gave him every bit of opportunity in uh, spring training to do that. And he took advantage of his opportunities and you look up and, and he's on the opening day roster as a starter. And uh, you know, he, he's taken, taken initiative of what he has to do and responsibility. And it, it's really fun to watch and see. Well, speaking of fun to watch, it's Scott Emerson with us here on A's Cast Live. We got to see Chris Bassett in the All-Star game, and I know what a big deal it was. He's he's broken down so many barriers personally this year that shut out, and certainly that was emotional meant so much to him. But now going to the All-Star game, and look, not a lot of guys, Emo, would have pitched on Sunday and pitched as tremendously as he did going seven innings, giving up just a run on four hits, and then turn around two days later and pitch in the All-Star game. But that goes to show you, the character and what it meant to Chris Bassett. What were your emotions like as somebody who's helped develop this guy and work with him to get to this level and see him flourish and be an all-star? Well, first of all, you know, there was no doubt really in my mind that Bassett would go to the all-star game and want to pitch. You know, he's a great teammate. He's a great leader. He leads by example. And the competitiveness of him uh, wanting to go to this all-star game and pitch. I mean, and I, you know, personally agree with him you know somebody puts you on the all-star team on one day's rest and uh you know i know he made a comment he pitched because he never knew if he was going to get back there again i i, I would have done the same thing 
you know, uh, I, I've learned a long time that the responsibility on, on pitchers pitching on one day's rest should, should you know, fall on the coach's hands, not the player's hands, because the players are always going to say yes, or most of them, the good ones are going to say yes, because they want to pitch. And uh, so it didn't surprise me that Chris pits on one day's rest. And, well, and it was fun to see. Well, coming back from the injury like he did in, in 2018 and 2019, I thought he, Emo took a huge step forward. When did you see this trajectory for Chris Bassett that he was going to elevate his game to become one of the top pitchers in the American League? I think, you know, uh, you know, he's always had that swing role, you know, whether he's a starter on the team or he's a reliever. But when he accepted the fact that that was his role, I think that's when he could breathe a little bit and, you know, become the pitcher that he is today. You know, so many guys, you know, have a, a, a routine and a plan and they can't break the routine. If the routine uh, is different, it's tough on them. But Bassett, uh, I think, put into his mind, you know, you tell me when to pitch, I'll just go out there and and, and pitch. And so I think at the, the around 19, you started seeing that, that, okay, this guy is, is all about the team and all about winning and all about pitching. And then, as you know, when he came into uh, 20, we still didn't know if he was going to be a starter or not. And then all of a sudden, he takes the – takes it and runs with it. But what, what I really like about Bassett now in his game is the ability to hit areas of the, of the zone in his bullpen sessions. You know, at, at some point in time, you know, he, he's always been that great game competitor who goes out there and competes. But I think now he's got such a much better idea of what he's doing with his baseball. Uh, he can create movement. He can, like, make up something in the bullpen. Let me try this and, and it have some use to it. So if he gets out in the, in the game and he doesn't feel good about a certain pitch, he can make a minor adjustment to a grip or to a release point and feel confident in that. And that's like pitching. That's like, you know, in the backyard and you're playing a wiffle ball game and you're creating and uh, you know, guys out there that know how to pitch, you look like a, a you look at Granky. You know, he changes speeds. He might change a little arm angle, but he'll throw that breaking ball 58 miles an hour, and then he'll throw a hard <laughs> one at 72. I mean, it's just he's got that ability now to be creative, and I think that's kind of when you start looking around going, you know, this guy's pretty dang good. Well, speaking of being creative and working on stuff, all of a sudden the slider is now back in his arsenal. What was the thought process to reintroducing that into his arsenal out there on the mound? Well, you know, we've always tried to, to work a slider off his cutter. And, um, you know, for some reason, it just wasn't happening where we couldn't gain enough tilt or, or a horizontal break to it. So we kind of started at the beginning of the year working his slider off his curveball, making his curveball a little harder, harder shape. You see now he throws, you know, that he's got, you know, now he's got breaking balls between 68 and 84. So, there are three different shapes to his breaking ball. So we were able to get back to getting that cutter uh, to, to get some tilt this year, kind of probably just a month ago. And uh, now that he's added some tilt to that cutter, it's turned into a pretty good slider. So uh, like I said, that's the creative part that Chris has been able to do uh, over the last year and a half. And uh, I think it's working out for him. 
Indians in town as the second half starts tonight at the Coliseum. Roxy Bernstein with you here on A's Cast Live and Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of the Athletics with us. And Emo, heading into the break, I have to assume that the outing that Frankie Montas had to wrap up that series in Houston really has to give him a good feeling heading into the second half. What was different in that start uh, against Houston that you noticed? Well, it's, it's that ability to land that second pitch or have that that consistent, uh, uh, you know, release to where he knew where that second pitch was going. And that day was a split, you know, in, in uh, 19, when he's had such a great year uh, for us, you know, and I know it was cut short, but he had that ability to throw that split at any time in the count. And that goes back to his hitting his time and pitching his disruption of timing. And, you know, he, he's been in the fifties, with both off-speed uh, uh, pitches percentage-wise, where in the past he's been in the 60s percentage-wise. So now now you don't just have to throw fastballs and fastball counts. you got the ability to use other pitches and mix it up and throw it for a strike. And, and that's key for every pitcher. But in, in that Houston game, you know, like you said, he, he had that second pitch going, that split. He had an idea of where it was going. He could land it inside the strike zone or he could use it for a chase pitch. And uh, that was very important for him in 19. And hopefully we can build off that pitch and, and continue that win the second half. Yeah, last Thursday in his win against Houston, six and two-thirds innings of five uh, five hits allowed, one run, 10 strikeouts for him. And is that something that you view that, okay, the confidence is back with Frankie, that this could be a real springboard for him and could be a huge boost for us in the second half? Yeah, you you, you know, we all know Frankie's got electric stuff. But you know, on paper that's one thing, and in the in the game that's another. You got to go out there, you got to pitch, you got to look at the counts, you got to look at the scoreboard, you got to look at the hitter, and then you got to go out and execute those pitches. And you know that game in Houston, he did that, and in most of '19, he did that. And you know we need Frankie to come out and have the ability to keep doing that, uh, and that'll take our pitching staff even to a whole nother level. Speaking of bringing it on the pitching staff. I've been so happy for James Caprillion. You know, I've known him since his college days. And look, those were the toughest days of maybe of his life, considering what his mom was dealing with and ultimately succumbing to cancer when he was pitching at UCLA. So I've seen the progression. Then he has the setbacks with surgery and he essentially lost three seasons as he was trying to develop as a pitcher. When you watch him now, what are you seeing from James Caprillion? Because just everything I see, Emo, it's his presence his command that this is he's got the makeup to really be, I think, a, a top level pitcher. Yeah, you know, James, you know, comes from UCLA, highly highly touted prospect, first round pick. I mean, we we traded Sonny Gray for him. I think he's done an outstanding job. You know, probably a little bit over my expectations as a you know, just seeing him over the last couple of years throwing bullpens. But bullpens are a lot different than games, you know, in the bullpen you never really get to see what this guy is truly made of. And in the game, James goes out there, he's prepared, he competes. Uh, he does remind me a little bit about Bassett, you know, the bulldog out there. He, he wants the baseball. He, he's coming after you. He's got a good idea what he wants to do. Um, and his pitches, in my opinion, keep getting better and better. And his fastball command keeps getting better and better. So, you know, like you said, I, I think this guy – you know, is going to be a good force in this league, and he's just got to continue to do the things that he's doing to keep getting better and better. 
We're basically doing this day to the pitching staff heading into the second half here with Scott Emerson and Ace Cast Live. Run through the stars. We didn't get to Shamanai. I can't really get to everybody. But as far as the bullpen goes, Emo, heading into the second half, the, the reemergence of Lou Trevino. And he had his struggles a couple of seasons ago. Looked like he started to turn the corner last year. And this year has become just a dominant force at the back end of your bullpen. What are you seeing with Lou Trevino that has turned him back into the pitcher that showed flashes when he first appeared in 2018? I think, you know, always it's confidence. You know, when, when guys are pitching good and their confidence is high, you know, keep riding, riding the wave, right? I guess that's our, one of our slogans. So, uh, you know, Lou's, Lou's kind of one of those guys that uh, has been streaky in the past and, and now I think he's getting mature enough to understand what he has to do to get his outs. Um, I think he's pitching a little bit more with his other pitches, which I like a lot, and uh, not just relying on his cutter. Um, and he wants the ball. He wants to be good. You know, it, it, he's fun to be around. You know, he'll tell you, and we always, you know, talk about, you know, he's a little stubborn, which is fine. That, you know, that tells me that guys have a plan and have a plan of action. But I think he's also listening a little bit more to, to what we have to say uh, to help him get better. And um, he's just doing a great job this year. And like I said, that confidence is, is, is you know, good to where you can ride that wave out. Speaking of pitchers that are on a roll, Sergio Romo got off to a little bit of a rocky start, Emo. And, but the last three weeks, month, he has been sensational. He's gotten out of jams. He's made some big pitches for you out of the bullpen. Are you noticing anything different? Is he doing something that maybe he wasn't doing earlier in the year that's allowed him to have this much success recently? Why he's been such, so valuable for you recently? Well, I think if you if you kind of just go back and look at uh, the path of Romo coming to the organization, you know, he was a late sign, maybe early February or, or late January, and uh, you know, maybe not doing as much uh, in the off season to prepare because he really didn't know what type of season, even if he was going to have a contract with somebody, gets the spring training, we kind of get him in, uh, you know, get him close to being where he needs to be. Then with the COVID rules, he, you know, he goes home and has his fifth child and has to sit out a few more days to, to uh, because of the protocols and get back into the bubble or whatever we had going on. And then, so I think you're just, in my opinion, you're seeing a guy who's finally in shape in in major league pitching shape and uh what comes with that is a guy that's gonna you know hopefully continue to go out and do the things he's been doing and and get balls uh get the ball in 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 crunch time you know so you know Sergio comes with a lot of pedigree around the uh around the, the league from what he's done in the past he wants to do so good uh for his legacy that he's gonna work as hard as he can and that's what Sergio has been doing uh, since he's been here, but I think now you're just seeing better results because he's be- he's in better major league shape. Emo, they don't they don't do it in the same fashion. There's some similarities in the way they pitch. I'm talking about Romo and Yusmero Petit, but it's almost like you have two options there because Yusmero comes in and gets you out of any jam you need. He, he is just phenomenal doing that. But that's a specialty of Romo also. So how much of a luxury is it for you? having two guys that really are comfortable when most pitchers run from those type of scenarios? Oh, I, I think it's a huge luxury, you know, guys that, that have the ability to get you out of a jam. Uh, but, you know, you, 
sometimes you get out of what you put in, and those two guys put in a lot of hard work to be where they are and to be sustainable over their career. You know, you look at the big velo guys, which, you know, it would be great to have big velo and command, but, uh, you know, command is always important in the big leagues. You know, you got to be able to throw the ball where you need it. You know, every hitter has a weakness. Can we exploit their weakness? And that's something that, you know, those guys with command have the ability to do. And, you know, I think it's just great to have guys that know how to pitch and get yourself out of the jam. Well, Emo, it's great to have you on A's Cast Live. I'm so excited for the second half to get going. And a pennant rush and a pennant race coming up. And it's great to be in the thick of things again. So appreciate your time and see you at the ballpark. Have a great second half. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Love me some emo on A's Cast Live. Mark Kotze also stopped by because we had to ask him about Shohei Otani, and he was Shohei Otani in college at Cal State Fullerton. Here's Kotze. Well, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while, Tony. It's good to see you on the field, buddy. Yeah, it's great to be back. You know, it's it's weird having been not around you guys for so long and, you know, talking to players, just talking to Sean Mania, I think for everybody to kind of start seeing each other again is kind of healthy. Yeah, we get reacclimated with each other, right? Um, but, yeah, human inter- uh, human contact, human face-to-face interviews is a lot better than doing over Zoom, I think. No doubt about it. So how's third base been for you? Well, I was, as you know, it's, uh, it's engaging. Um, it's playing the game. And, uh, you know, I think overall it's been, it's been a great experience. Um, I'm learning every day. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to have this opportunity and, and be down here on the field with these guys. I don't think people realize how much you need to study because you need to know everybody's arms. You need to know your player's speed and how aggressive they are. Just talk about the amount of work you got to put in to be a third base coach. Yeah, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of preparation, as you talk about, you know, knowing the outfielders uh, as well as knowing our base runners and their speed, what they can do going first to home, uh, what they do second to home, their their turns, their their lines going down, uh, you know, third base. And uh, as you said, you know, we're an aggressive mentality. I think that's the way I played the game. It's kind of the way I coach the game at third base. I do take chances, um, but they're all calculated. And it's not just uh, let's just take a chance here because, you know, we, we're, we're gambling. It's, it's uh, you know, a long, long thought process before the pitch occurs. It's, you know, who's on deck, how many outs there are, where we are at in the game. Uh, how our offense has been performing. So all those factors are weighed in when I make a decision. It's not just a, uh, a quick draw. Well, then you got to throw in the ballpark factors. Every ballpark's different. All the corners are different. The bounces are different. H- how do you know what to do with each ballpark? Do you go out early and maybe hit balls into the wall, or what do you do? No, you know, I think for the most part I've played in every ballpark, so that gives me a little bit of a, a head start in, in understanding the corners. Uh, being an outfielder also gives me a head start into uh, how aggressive outfielders play, you know, whether an outfielder you know, takes a fly ball and, and is disciplined enough to get behind it when he comes through uh, to get some leverage when, he, when he's you know, trying to throw a runner out who's tagging. Um, so it's instinct, too, and I think you know, my instincts take over and, and I make decisions, as I said, uh, with the information that I, I have pre-pitch and, and with my instincts as to whether or not you know, we're going to take a chance in a situation to, to be aggressive or, or to, to, to stay at third. So I, I say it all the time on the show, and I'm kind of biased, but I think you're arguably the greatest college baseball player of all time. And it's not just because of what you did offensively, which got you to you know, be the number one overall pick, but a lot of people don't know what you did as a center fielder, 
as a closer. When we played against you, you'd go four for five, hit a two-run bomb, and then you'd come in and you'd close the games out at Fullerton. You know, when I think about the guy out there today, Shohei Otani, you had that skill set. When you look back now, do you think you could have done reliever, hitter at the big league level? You know, I wish I could say yes, but no. To be honest, I think the, the demand here at this level um, is one that uh, really puts a toll on your body. You need to be physical, and Shohei's physical. He's big, um, he's got strength, and I think overall he can handle it. And I think part of it, you know, the starting pitching uh, gives him an opportunity to, to rest his arm, to, to maintain his arm as well when he gets to do a bullpen session. So for me in college, when I'd come out of center field and go close a game, I didn't have the luxury of days off. I still had to make outfield throws aggressively. I still had to play catch in between innings and not be able to manage how much I used my arm. And I think they're doing a great job with him in managing that. Yeah, people don't realize you came in one, two, three, blowing people away. <laughs> There's a reason why you were the Golden, Sp uh, Golden Spikes Award winner, and I just think that, uh, I don't know, I would have liked to see if you got an opportunity to do it. If there would have been a way to manage the load. I know center fielder, you're making a lot of throws, deep throws, but it would have been interesting. Yeah, it would have been fun. Believe me, I, there's not a day that goes by I wish I didn't tow the rubber. Even if, even as a position player coming in in a blowout game, I had one opportunity uh, when I was with San Diego in September. Um, I had hurt my right hand, so I wasn't hitting, but I could play defense because I could throw. And uh, it was late in the game. We were getting blown out, and Boach said, hey, go warm up. And I threw about five pitches, and, I, I mean, the adrenaline was crazy. I was so <laughs> pumped up. And, in the, and then, of course, an ending-inning double play, right, right yeah. before I get my chance of pitching an inning in the big leagues. But um, it would have been fun. And as you say, like maybe I could have you know, been a left-handed reliever and, and just been utilized out, out, of the, out of the outfield and – or in-game in situations with the matchup, you know? You know, I, I, I think about when guys start to press and when the team's not hitting with runners in scoring position, everybody knows what's going on, right? What, what can you do to help some of these guys to get them back on track? Because it's not early anymore. I mean, before you know it, we're going to be in August. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, we go through – through droughts like this as we we started out in one we started out in a funk where we went 0-6 and people weren't hitting the panic button especially us in, in the clubhouse you know we we realize this is a tough stretch we realize we're grinding and I think the biggest thing for us to do is just to to relax if we can but focus on competing so competing just go up there and compete you know and and, and hopefully good things happen you know I talk about all the time uh, whether it's in the talk show or the post game show where I say you know, sometimes guys make contact. You put the ball in play, you never know what can happen. I mean, there was a wild play with the Pirates and, and the Mets yesterday. I mean, just put the ball in play, and good things can happen. Put some pressure on the defense. Oh, that's right, you know, and, and uh, like you said, you know, the game has evolved, and, and there's a lot of value based on home runs and walks uh, that, that have been emphasized uh, in today's game. So, you know, as a hitter, um, when you've got runners in scoring position, as you said, you put the ball in play and good things can happen. And we've seen that this year. We've done that this year. Um, and this is just a stretch where we're going through a tough period of time. And, you know, we need to get back to the basics, as you talk about, and, and utilize the other side of the field and make contact. Let's end on this. How important is it for this team to get better in division and rack up more wins in division? Well, everyone knows that. It's just it's common sense that we need to win games in our division. And we start here with the Angels now. We've got you know, the, the Mariners as we go up for the weekend. So uh, we've got a good week in front of us to, to, to make some ground and uh, 
you know, and win some ball games. Well, it's great to see you. It really is, and it's great to be back on the field. And uh, we always appreciate the time. Get well, because I know being sick stinks, <laughs> especially when you're traveling. But thanks for the time, yep. and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Tony. We'd like to thank Max Muncie, Scott Emerson, and Mark Kotze for all stopping by A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.